there, hi there, ho there. Welcome to Hightailing Through History, a history podcast where two sisters get high and surprise each other with a story from history's vault of the weird and the wonderful. I'm Laurel, the older sister. Joined by Katie, the younger sister. Yeah. And today we are joined by a third person in our studio in our room today. So if you're watching, you'll notice a third person here with us, Erin Odom from the amazing theater history podcast, Euripides, Eumenides, back again. Erin, hello, welcome. Hello, and <laughs> I love being back here in your smoke circle. This is just fantastic. Mm. It's been so fun to sit here and chat with you a little bit beforehand and get, you know, a little pre-gaming going on and, uh, you know, hear about everybody's terrible fears and and their <laughs> weird quirks and everything. So that was fun. That was fun. But, uh, you know, this is what, these are the things that we share and what brings us together here in the smoke circle and makes us feel like we're part of a community together. Mm. Something That's like all I have that. to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just a satisfied moan. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I well, we're thrilled having you back first and foremost. And oh, I love, we I had love such being a great here. time love with it. you. I was yeah. on your show a couple of times. Katie got yeah. to go on there. It's always a blast whenever we get to hang out with you. And so Yeah, yeah. I want to ask Katie, how are you doing with uh what we revealed about Peter Pan when you were on the show? I mean, you know, I haven't <laughs> Let's see how long ago that. I mean, I haven't watched it since. Uh, see, I win. I ruined it for you. <laughs> but I do still sing the songs. Yeah, well, yeah. not all of them. But yeah, yeah. Like yeah. second start of the right, and then what's the big one? Um, you can, you can fly. fly. I yeah. I sing that all the time. Oh man! And then I try yeah. and zoom the cat around the house, and she very quickly declines the offer. <laughs> Uh, I'd rather not. Thank you. Yeah, no, I just wanted to check in with that. I often, uh, you know, I'll tell I'll tell people about things on my show because, uh, you know, you don't have to be a, a theater history fan to be a fan of the show. You just have to enjoy like weird history stories like you do on this show. And it just mm -hmm. happens that all of mine revolve around history stuff or theater stuff. So, you know, uh, I mean, the origin of Peter Pan, you can go back and look up that episode and, and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but yeah, we uh, found out that that was first a play and that there were some really... <laughs> I will say questionable, questionable origins. Is a good word for it. <laughs> questionable mm -hmm. origins behind, uh, you know, the development of the character, and you know, a lot of, a uh, lot of uh, what today we might determine as a grooming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, that would be which didn't lead anywhere. Which was also like, then why are you doing it? <laughs> expect this to be lurid at some at some point in this day and age so yeah. <laughs> and also yeah. the last time you were on here episode 41 which everybody go check that one out it was oh yeah just blah yeah such a blast that's a good that's a good like episode you know bring it back like mm -hmm. a yeah. few different times do two or three different workouts a couple different commutes because it was a long one but every out yeah every morsel of it was blah, just yes. yeah. outstanding so good. We mm -hmm. talked about entertainment in ancient Rome. Well, Aaron did. Yes. And then Katie and I talked about wrestling as wrestling. theater and sports and Ugh. how that gets used. And man, you know what's funny is I'm actually an avid nostalgia. wrestling fan now. Like after that, <laughs> I, I, I choose to sit and watch it with him. Not only do we watch Raw, we watch SmackDown and NXT. What is everyone drinking tonight? Hey, isn't mm. that a question? Uh, let's start guests first. Oh, well, 
I am enjoying my, uh, you know, uh, I believe the kids today call it a vodka and Red Bull, but um, oh. I am enjoying my very, my Gen X version of that, which is a Mountain Dew Zero Sugar and red, and, and vodka. Uh, yes, amazing. I am proudly Gen Xer, and I was sitting here thinking about how am I going to describe this drink tonight, and I'm thinking, you know, here we are in a history podcast, and someday we're going to be the people that will tell the days of old. And I'll be right. able to say, yes, kids, I was I was born in the final days of the Carter administration. <laughs> you know, not, not, the, not the gas shortage days when cars were lined down the street. No, no, no. Those days were long past. It was the days when he was hornswoggled by an actor. An actor without a brain. And of course, at the time, we didn't know he didn't have a brain, but uh, he was part of the moral majority because we thought we didn't have any morals anymore. <laughs> oh, if they were simpler times. There we go. Not to mention <laughs> that you lived through the pandemic, too. Oh, God. Wait, wait till that hits the history books. People will be like, what well, the fuck? And you'd be like, don't ask. We just, mm. we don't talk oh. about it. So, so check this out. Like I, we went to New York. I took my boys and I took uh, the woman who walks beside me, Andrea, to New York, and we saw a Broadway show. We saw um, that was the oh, most was majestic it? title ever. Mm -hmm. I love the way you talk about her. It's so oh, lovely. I love. I, yeah, that was what we decided a long time ago. We were like, "What are we? Boyfriend, girlfriend?" We're like, "No, we're kind of like past that age." So, what are we? Man, friend, lady, friend? That's really weird. And she came up with it, and I'm like, "That's like a Johnny Cash lyric, isn't it?" I don't care. Right. That's that's it. That's what we do. So she's the woman who walks way beside superior me, to what her. I call Blake. Mm -hmm. I call him a long term booty call with mortgage benefits. So what are you also do? accurate? Also accurate. But anyway, we went to New York and Andrew really wanted to go see the 9-11 Memorial. And my kids were like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. And we're like, why not? It's part of history. They're like, well, you mm -hmm. know, it, this is a really positive trip. We had a lot of fun this week and I don't want to mm -hmm. button it with a downer. So, but she, she eventually went and, and, but at the same time, I was like, why don't you want to see that? It is. Yeah. And, and even Andrew's kids who are. Uh, 24 and 22 they were like yeah why do you want to go see that and, you know and we go why what? don't you want to see that they're like we don't yeah. remember it mm -hmm. it wasn't in our lifetime oh. some of them and i went yeah. yeah but it affected you you realize that well in what way and i'm like okay let me point this out hey heard of standardized testing in schools we wouldn't have that without no child left behind you know why we had no child left behind because George W. Bush got elected to a second term. You know why George mm -hmm. W. Bush got elected to a second term? Because he was a wartime president. You know why he was mm -hmm. a wartime president? Because he was a lame duck president when a massive, you know, invasion took place in our Domestic country. Domestic terrorism hit, yeah. So, so mm -hmm. yep. uh, yeah, all of that affected you in your daily life where you have to go, mm -hmm. ugh, three days out of the year, I got to sit in the auditorium and <laughs> do a class. Yeah. Like, as well as well, their travel well, I must to be the, the city, last, you know? I must be the last right. generation to remember that. Like the last of, because I do remember it. it. It's early, but I remember it. Yeah. Andrew went and she was really glad she did, but it wasn't like, yeah. hey, what a cool museum. Mm -hmm. you know, it is a cool no. museum, but at the end of it, you're just like, Ugh. like how you yeah. feel after you got about, out of Oppenheimer. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Oh, well, I'll tell you, you'll go and you'll I go, just Ugh. never go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Well, I like when you stream it at home, you'll go, oh, yeah, okay. right. 
Mm -hmm. Did I get enough of that sound bite? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a real powder? It's about, huh, are we as humanity actually going to destroy the world? Maybe. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Roll credits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Maybe we will. Yeah. And then later we'll go, what happened? And we'll have podcasts like these to remind us what happened. I hope so. I okay, so that's a, the, the that's uh, the quick that's the quick story of what I'm drinking. Uh, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm gonna go next. Okay, well, I, I thank you for for leading this little segment of the show. I'm gonna turn my little sweaty cup around. Oh, you still you still have those. So my husband was invited to. Um, so he's he's in youth sports and soccer and whatnot soccer not just any sport please (laughs) but he was invited out by a big uh sportswear brand to go to la for the arsenal barcelona exhibition game and he came back with like what felt like 37 of these things because because as everyone was leaving a lot of them left behind the souvenir cup that you pay an extra a couple of bucks for keeps your beer so he's just stacking them on the way out yep why Oh, why well, would you do that? So we can have super icy cold drinks at home that, uh, no, but I guess... like other people had them. Just take what you got and leave. Uh, okay. Oh, I know. No. Oh, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in on this because we just went to Broadway and this was a thing when I first went about four years ago that I didn't realize was a thing. When you go to a show, if you go okay. to a Broadway show, go get yourself a yeah. drink, get yourself a right. soda, get yourself a, 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 an alcoholic beverage, whatever. They have souvenir cups for every oh, single wow. show you go to with the show logo on them. Oh, wow. Which is why now we have four Lion King cups upstairs and seven Sweeney Todd cups upstairs. And those are mm-hmm. our drinkware right now. Oh, I'm uh, drinking gin and tonic, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm drinking can, my favorite flavor, the lemon lavender. Ooh. There it is. Oh, my goodness. C-A-N-N. Hmm. Her usual Boom. little beverage stuff. Love it. I do. So, uh, what do you say, kids? Should we history? Yeah. Yeah. uh... Okay. Actually puts Aaron in the hot seat first. Shit. I mean, (laughs) so. Okay. Well, I, I heard of this story a long time ago, and I couldn't figure out how to make it a full episode of my show. So I'm like, if I am invited somewhere... People would get a taste of what I do on my show, talking about an interesting story from history that happens to revolve around theater, but would probably fit in more towards a like general history podcast and something people can pour over. So this one, this one's very interesting. Um, I don't know if anybody has ever seen the movie I Heart Huckabees, uh, with David, uh, David O. Russell movie with like Mark Wahlberg, Naomi Watts, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, for the record, I hate that goddamn movie. Um, but I have never, it's one of the few times in my life where I've, I haven't laughed harder at the end of a movie than I did at that one. Cause it is okay. this big buildup about philosophy and the meaning of life and trying to explore that through a lens of history with all these freaking malcontent wimps. And, uh, at the, at the end of it, there's one thing where they're doing therapy with those punch balloons, you know, it's like on a rubber band and you punch the balloon yeah. and, and, uh-huh. and apparently it's supposed to be therapeutic, uh, in some version of this story. <laughs> but, uh, at, at the end of the story, 
these two people realize that they haven't actually come to any concrete solutions to their problems. They haven't like discovered the meaning of life after sitting and thinking about it for, you know, a couple of days. And at the end of it, one of them just has a, a punch balloon in his hand and hits the other guy in the head. And the guy's <laughs> stunned for a second. And then he hits him in the head again. And the guy falls over and you sit there for a second and then the credits roll. And I am dying laughing. I'm like, you went through philosophy for two hours, making us go through this entire thing. And the meaning of it all is hit a guy over the head. So he falls over and we laugh at it. I was rolling. I was by myself in a small apartment cackling on the floor. This story is probably going to be very similar. (laughs) That's funny. So to start my story, I will ask you this. How familiar are you with the families of the heads of state of World War I? Decently. Are you really? Like, well, you're talking about the Austrian prince and all that, like... Well, kind of. Kind of. I'm talking about when the conflict was started. Who was in control of the factions from each country? I remember specifically actually having to, like, write an essay about it, and it sucked. Ooh. So... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that I yeah. don't love history. It was just a lot of... Listen, oh. have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> here's Here's the thing about the Bible. This fucking guy had a kid, and he had a kid who had a kid, and then he had a kid who had a kid, and then, oh, oh. by the way, this is this guy's cousin, and this, and this, oh. and this, and I was like, okay, whoa, listen, okay. I need you to slow down. This is boring, it's not interesting, <laughs> and nobody's died yet. Here's what I'm going to do. This, this, will, this will basically be my book report on uh, okay. the, uh, the interwoven branches of the heads of state. Uh, I mean... I want to take a look at the royal families involved with World War One, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do my best to untangle the family trees so we can understand this story, because those trees grew very near each other and got very tangled mm-hmm. up. Okay? Yeah, sure did. So, to set the scene, I'll remind you of a few global powers on each side of the conflict. Germany fought for one coalition, while Great Britain and Russia were allied in the other coalition. The leaders of these countries are the main players in today's story. Kaiser Wilhelm II. I'm going to send you. No, I'm not going to send you that picture yet. No, I want to send you that picture. So you okay. uh, you know what I'm Wilhelm. talking about. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love gosh. that name, though. Wilhelm. Oh, it, it is glorious. There's Kaiser Wilhelm II. Oh. Mm. Look at that stash. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, like I mean, skull and cross is that a skull? Mm-hmm. Isn't that ridiculous? Okay. So for. Dude, that's for, so metal. Yes, for for just listeners who aren't watching the video, yes, um, we've got uh, the Kaiser, who's got this fantastic mustache that is mm-hmm. pointed upwards for a few inches on the ends, which was fantastically waxed, and he made sure it was every day. And then on his head is like this Cossack, uh, you know, yeah. big poofy hat that yeah, has been very like, Russian style. Yeah, that has been like Mad Maxed to a degree with like a little skull and like it looks like a laser eye on the top and this some is such an metal brackets. Right? Okay. So that's Kaiser Wilhelm. Oh, okay. So for generations leading up to World War One, it had been something of a family tradition for the members of the royal families of Russia 
to create bonds and marriage with the German houses of nobility. Like they only fished in that pond. Okay. In fact, it was known that some Russian czars expected and almost demanded that their sons marry women of class from some of the great houses of Germany. Like don't look elsewhere. <laughs> not, not even in our own country. <laughs> okay. From what I understand, wow. this preference derived from the czar's belief that German women of nobility were much more refined and cultured than women from any other country, mm. including Russia. <laughs> oh, I figured they just want a sturdy German gal like Greta. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You mm -hmm. have good bones. Uh, and not only that, German women were often considered more attractive than women from other countries as well. I mean, I'd say at so. least, at least by the Germans. <laughs> Apparently, they had a they had a fetish. Uh, that would be their OnlyFans page. German women, please. <laughs> okay. On the flip side of that coin, to keep up public appearances, the czars believed it also helped create stronger alliances with the German government, and everyone needed mm -hmm. their allies. So they're saying, "Look, we have very strong relations with the Germans, and they're sexy, sexy, well cultured mm -hmm. women." <laughs> You should see their hips. You should see their hips, especially when they stand behind leaders of state when they are giving... I'm doing a German accent for Russians. It's terrible. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So, this preference became fairly awkward during the outbreak of World War I when the two countries found themselves on opposite sides of the conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. That'll be weird. It's like, no, we... Wait, uh, let's get into Russian. No, we don't like the German women anymore. We did, but then there was war, and now we don't like them. So we say, but we still keep them in our beds. I was going to say, it could make things <laughs> more exciting for them, really, if you think about I it. Well, maybe don't think too hard. Yeah, we, we are sleeping with enemy. What do you make of this? Anyway. <laughs> but it might not have been the best timing for Russia to have entered a war in 1914. As we may recall, civil unrest had been growing nope. in Russia for quite some time, and the Russian citizens were just about to have enough of the Russian royal family, the Romanovs. <laughs> Laura yeah. was mm, sucking air through her teeth here. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. One of the it many reasons, funny. one of the many reasons that the Russian people had reason to be despondent with the Romanovs is that during a time of war, one of the Romanovs was a German princess. This was Alexandra. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> Russian, uh, and you know, for Russian people to already be at, at unrest, but still kind of patriotic, you know, I mean, it's my understanding that Russia is a very matriarchal country. So mother Russia. So for one of their royal women to be a German, kind of a slap in the face to know that she was in the royal family. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're like, okay, so we're going oh. to war with these people, but apparently one of them's here. Great. Okay. I'm sure she's not slipping notes when, when relatives drop in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this anti-German sentiment became so great that the imperial government felt compelled to rename the city of St. Petersburg in 1915, removing the root word Berg from the city's name. It was renamed Petrograd, which in uh -huh. Russian means a city of Peter after Peter the Great. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Laurel is just gobsmacked. I actually did not know that's why. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's like, great. Oh. Well, they don't seem to like the German thing. Let's get rid of the burg. Who's famous? Peter. It's fine. It is city of Peter. <laughs> okay. Now, it sounds like drastic action needed to be taken to attempt to keep the country together. The country had already gone through one revolution in 1905, and the imperial government managed to get out of that one, but the feelings of the constituency were still pretty hurt. It was a bold move, but still ultimately didn't work. In 1917... The Russian government was overthrown by Bolsheviks and the royal family was imprisoned and summarily either executed or exiled. And they were executed by firing squad. I think it was in the courtyard of their own home, if I recall. Yeah, or some the basement. Like and some yeah. of oh, them yeah, happened yeah. out yeah. in the uh, basement, yeah. And then some of them actually, I thought they actually happened out in the forest. Alexei and uh, oh, yeah. Anastasia. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't sure. pleasant either way. Yeah. It no. wasn't pleasant. Also, <laughs> So, still at war, the Russian people only strengthened their hatred for Germany. This was no secret to Kaiser Wilhelm II, the current emperor of Germany, and it really bothered him just how much the Russians hated Germany. What? You're a head of state. <laughs> going, I don't understand. Why do the Russians hate us? It's not, it's not fair. <laughs> Especially so, wartime, yeah. Wartime. Mm. Uh, can't it just get over it? God. Uh, putting politics aside, though, it sounds like Wilhelm and his wife really liked Alexandra and several of the other German princesses that had been wed into noble families in Russia. Not to mention that the Kaiser and Tsar Nicholas II were distant, re distantly related themselves through various couplings mm. between German and Russian royal families. It was distant... Okay. But they were they were bound by some blood at some point. Yeah. So for the Russian people to be hating on the Russian royal family so much, part of which was hating on the Germans, that they executed them. Well, that was just insult to injury for poor Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> <laughs> They're really trying to get under my skin by killing all these people. <laughs> He's having a lot of emotions oh, no. about this. He's having a lot of feelings. <laughs> oh, they did that. Why? It's, I'm very hurt. As though that weren't enough, he took even more offense to the fact that countries were allying against his forces, and he took offense to this for a few reasons. Number one, Wilhelm considered himself to be a very chivalrous man, and... War was definitely a duty reserved for those who have earned titles. Okay. Mm. After all, oh. he did have three big official titles as the ruler of Germany at the time. German emperor, as I said, the mm -hmm. king of Prussia, which was like the yes. northern part of Germany. Yep. And this is my, mm -hmm. my favorite one. I, I don't know where they stamped this, but it, it, it's official. Supreme War Lord. Oh, well, that's a Star Wars title, isn't it? Like, <laughs> and it, right? Probably. Should be a so, trend with the leaders in Germany at this time. They really seem to have an overinflated sense of self. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say. I mean, the the term the the one of the terms the president of the United States has is commander in chief. You're like, oh, I get that. Mm -hmm. He's the top. 
Okay. Right. Supreme Warlord. I mean, is there a yeah. degree below that? You know, like, you know, sub. <laughs> I mean, uh, or above I'm making that? fun Sublime of them. Sublime Warlord? Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Okay. You know, I'm making fun of them, but here's the deal. If I was in that position, I would 100% give myself a title like that. <laughs> I know who I am. You know I who would, I am. I would, would tattoo I it on my head. Yes, I would I be walk like, into yes. a room and they go, what's that saying? Oh, 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 he's supreme. Okay. I guess we bow. Do we bow? <laughs> Do I, I, kneel. Kneel always works. Kneel. Okay. okay. Anyway. Okay, here's, yeah. here's the second part of why uh, Wilhelm didn't like this allying against him. Is a quote I found about his character. Kaiser Wilhelm II, imperious, impulsive, imbued with notions of the divine right of kings in Germany's God-given trajectory to greatness, while at the same time insecure and hypersensitive to slights to his imperial dignity or his dynastic mission, was arguably the very last person who should have been entrusted with the immense powers of the Hohenzollern military monarchy at such a critical juncture in Germany and Europe's history. Ooh. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who wrote I no, I know who wrote that, but boy, they had a they had an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not a wrong one either. No, no. It sounded like I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to, I, given what we already know, he's hypersensitive about how people feel about him. Well, mm -hmm. what that actually means is that an entire government is being reestablished, millions of people are dying, and he's just getting all butthurt in, in Berlin and going, but why are they being so mean? <laughs> yeah. I think about that <laughs> when people talk about Lincoln's mental state during the Civil War and how mm. he was like very frequently depressed, and you're like, who wouldn't be? Yeah. <laughs> Half the country <laughs> left the country when he got elected. Right. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Oh, why doesn't anybody Is it, like he me? Carried... <laughs> he, Is it me? He carried the, like, the weight of the union, man. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a more extreme example. What mm -hmm. you're talking about here was a very tense military conflict that was kicked off by what even today, like I read about the assassination of uh, an Ecuadorian presidential candidate this week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the world isn't falling apart, but it did in, in 1914. And mm -hmm. yeah. they just happened to like split off and be like, well, if somebody kills this leader from Austria-Hungary, we will join the army. Uh, we will join the fight. And then Britain's over there going, no, we will join the other side. And Russia's over there going, we will join the Americans and the British. I'm just showing off at this point. So I, I'm um, really impressed, actually. Yeah, I'm just, I was like, oh. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. <laughs> he anyway. can do voices, babe. What can I tell you? I don't know. <laughs> Bags are packed. No, I'm kidding. You'll be turned away. Andrew will be right here going, I'm sorry, he's taken. Um, mm. Now, the execution of the Romanovs took place in 1918, but the revolution had begun in March 1917. And as I mentioned earlier, the Kaiser was well aware of the anti-German sentiment coming from Russia. But I have to take a break for station identification and add one more nugget that makes all these international politics so interesting. Here's how all of this ties together with the family trees of Germany, Russia, and Great Britain. Oh. Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany and King George V of England 
were first cousins. Mm-hmm. There it is. As the Kaiser's <laughs> mother was Princess Victoria of England, who was married to Kaiser Wilhelm's father, Frederick III. Princess Victoria's brother was King Edward VI of England. Both Princess Victoria and Edward VI were children of the great Queen Victoria of England. Mm-hmm. So you have two kings who are grandchildren of Queen Victoria. Yeah, there it is. And have you seen a picture of King George next to uh, Tsar Nicholas II? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you here okay. in a minute. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's startling. Yeah. So what this means is that also due to his birthright and inheritance, Kaiser Wilhelm II had royal titles in Great Britain as well. In the oh. town of Windsor, very well known for being in the title of the popular Shakespearean play, The Merry Wives of Windsor. Okay. Relating to theater. Here we go. And everybody remembers <laughs> that one, right? This is one with John Falstaff of the Henry IV plays. And in this one, he tries to seduce two wealthy old widows in some town he's passing through to see which one of them is going to treat him better. And it all falls on his head, right? We all know that. It's actually very (laughs) funny, very much in the vein of a good ancient Roman comedy like we discussed last time I was on the show. Mm -hmm. And as we, yeah, so. Okay, but back to European royal families and, and close family ties. So as, as Laura was mentioning just a second ago, on top of Wilhelm II and George having branches as a family tree that touch each other, the mothers of King George V of England and Tsar Nicholas of Russia were sisters, making Whoa. those two monarchs also first cousins. Okay, hold on. <laughs> yep, so? it's, it's tangled up. I'm just <laughs> making sure that I'm tracking, that's all. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So the mothers of... George from England and Nicholas from yes. Russia were sisters. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're aunties. Okay. Kaiser and George were first cousins. Let's see. The Kaiser's mother, Princess yeah. Victoria of England. So that's Victoria's daughter. Because she mm-hmm. had to name her daughter after herself. Was married to Kaiser Wilhelm's father from Germany. So you have Wilhelm the, uh, Frederick III and okay. Victoria, Princess Victoria. Okay. Yes. Now, also, Victoria had a bunch of other children. Queen Victoria had a bunch. I think in something I read, there were something like 25 different members of the heads of state of uh, Europe that were somehow out of the oh. children that Victoria had. I thought you had. were going to say she had 25 kids. I was like, holy <laughs> no, uterus. I think, no, I, th- <laughs> I think she... Oh, my God. Uh, somebody's going to correct me on this, but I think she had nine and then like... 16 grandchildren that all still had royal titles all over the Europe because yeah. Okay. Um, now Wilhelm. Okay. Wilhelm, take him out of the picture. Then you have George V of England, Tsar Nicholas. So George's Mm -hmm. mother and Nicholas's Mm -hmm. mother were sisters. Yes. Yes. So that's how that connects. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Wilhelm and Nicholas aren't directly related like that. Even yeah. though it is kind of like, you know, we have two or three litters of dogs in the same kennel and they <laughs> yeah. all, well, they're all kind of related, but yeah, that's kind of, but yeah. yeah. So uh, to make this all even crazier, you're going to see King George V and Tsar Nicholas II together. And I've just sent you that picture. Oh, 
It's okay. so good. And Here for go. our members in video. I'll have these posted in our show notes. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> which one's and which, I can, Katie? I cannot. I mean, they're both wearing crosses. Well, one, okay, one's listen. British and one's ah. British and one's oh. Russian. That's it. Oh, Russian. Excuse me. I'm pretty sure Nicholas is The guy is on the left on the is left. Russian. He has an mm. evil vagina on his head. Look, there it is. The evil vagina. <laughs> we sure does. So anyway. Hold okay, you. there we go. There we go. We had to take a break there to just Ooh. see just how intertangled these royal heads of state. Look at how related all three are. of them are. If you oh, look yeah. at them like all together, mm -hmm. dude, they all look the same, bro. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's Sorry. Victoria yep. for you. Uh, so anyway, getting back to regular programming. Amidst all this anti-German furor in Russia due to the war, as well as the fact that the Russian citizens had overthrown the royal family, partly due to anti-German sentiments, when Kaiser Wilhelm received a message from some current events in Britain on a morning in July 1917, his reaction of outright rage should have been expected. A messenger brought him a memo that was basically just the headline from a British newspaper. And here it is. By the king, a proclamation declaring that the name of Windsor is to be borne by his royal house and relinquishing the use of all German titles and dignities. That's okay. why they're the House of Windsor. Wow. Mm hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> king George the fifth of England was doing much the same that had been done in Russia to separate themselves from their enemies in a time of war. So they changed um, their house name. They changed their house name. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's I was where just, the house... I was like, hold on, let me make sure I understand yeah. this. So that's basically what happened. They just decided, okay, from here on out, we're called the house of Windsor, but really the reason was, or one of the reasons was we're in war with Germany, but right. check this out. So what was it previously? Uh, it was, Oh, I'm getting there. <laughs> oh, I can't okay. remember right. what the what the Brit in. the British name of it was, but check this out. Another snarled branch in this whole family tree is King George's wife, Queen Mary, born and raised in England, but was born Mary of Tech, the daughter of a German duke. Ooh. So the German this the English queen was German. So George was yeah. trying to show his people that they had no sympathy with the germans and by giving his wife the name of windsor he also effectively removed the kaiser's royal heritage in britain and yeah. effectively deleted from anything british the kaiser's family name i'm gonna say it a few times here yeah saxa koba gatha it's three titles and they're hyphenated so saxa uh -huh. s-a-x-e hyphen Coburg. C-O-B-U-R-G hyphen Gotha, G-O-T-H-A. Saxa Coba Gotha. I've heard that You're, name, actually. Now mm -hmm, that you say it yeah. out loud. You're no longer to be known as Saxa Coba Gotha. Now you are Windsor. And anybody who so, has royal titles with Saxa Coba Gotha no longer has them. He's brushing off those epaulets. Mm. <laughs> so he, yes. quite, he quite legit just stripped French. him of his titles, is essentially Completely. what happened. Like. Completely. Yeah, you have this well, royal heritage from your grandmother. Now you don't because we're at mm -hmm. war. Yeah. Wow. Been exiled, bro. Mm -hmm. And uh, Katie, as you were brushing off your epaulets, I think, or Laurel, I think uh, we can all agree that uh, sounds very much more British than the other name. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so in any case, once this news got to the Kaiser, I mean, he had to hear it through a oh, newspaper the, headline. Oh, the ultimate butt hurt. Now here we mm -hmm. go. He's gonna be He's so sad. Going, oh, mm -hmm. Russia doesn't like me. My cousin over there has died, and I'm not happy about it. And what is this? My other cousin? Oh no! <laughs> he was infuriated and stewed on the information, and so he summoned his wife to share the news. Now one. One last element to the story that's fairly enjoyable is that the Kaiser wasn't especially known for his sense of humor. <laughs> mm. uh, no, and I would imagine so. When he did crack a joke, it was often particularly lewd or derogatory. So his upcoming response to his wife was somewhat unexpected. So when the Kaiser's wife, Empress Augusta Victoria, who I'm sure is related to several people in this story, heard this news she asked her husband what he was going to do he replied there was only one thing to do he said and i quote i propose to take the entire family to the theater to see the merry wives of saxacoba gotha <laughs> what oh he's wait. so funny <laughs> not oh wait he didn't do that not not the Merry Wives of Windsor. <laughs> okay, I was like sitting here, I was like, wait. What? Just replacing the name of Windsor from one of the most popular titles in the Shakespearean canon with his own family name. If that's what they're going to do, I'm going to go see my play. He said, he said it as an ironic musing and then stomped out of the room. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And, uh... The creation of the uh, House of Windsor in 1917 was just one more lasting legacy of the Great War and the emotions it provoked. Yeah. That's pretty oh. much my story. <laughs> wow. You know what? That's amazing, though, because I, I, when I would look, not that I sit and study, like, you know, royal birth charts of, of Britain, but um, when you see, like, the family tree and the lines that go out, uh -huh. there's a certain oh. point where it just turns Windsor, and it's just done, and that's with, you know... Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, Queen Elizabeth yeah. and her family and, and those before it. And I was like, oh, I wonder about that. But I didn't actually look at in terms of time frame and think, hey, it's probably anti-German oh, sentiment. You know, like if there's war, yeah. then put two and two together. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Thank you. Well, I mean, you know, you compare it to other wars that we study, like especially in the States, we study like I had a class in history that was a history class called War and Peace, which highlighted the entire history of the U.S., benchmarking frankly the wars because on average we've had one every 20 years it's I like say, this is there ever we... any peace to study because i don't yeah, feel like exactly yeah but it was fascinating because i remember like world war ii was like we had this faction we had this faction and we kind of knew what was going on like these people were faction, doing like bad it's stuff, a wrestling match <laughs> yeah exactly but when you talk about world war one it was like well there was a lot of tension and one guy got killed and everybody just went this is it this is our time to to you know throw in the towel and 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 or rather throw our hat in the ring and and see what we can make of this yeah and you know when it finally ended i think people were just like uh yeah i guess we're done uh yeah, you guys go your way and I'll go my way. And I remember 
Oh, I remember at the end of my my World War One lesson in that class, they said, and the German soldiers marched home, and there was one young soldier, particularly despondent, that the outcome he was looking for really didn't get there, and he talked about it on the way home, the long march home, and that young man's name was Adolf. Oh Hitler. God, mm -hmm. this fucker. There he is. <laughs> Yeah, he was such a grump about the war. I mean, he was a grump about everything. He was, he was worse than a grump. But but about World War One, there's always these stories. Lightly, but <laughs> there are these stories in World War One where he's just like just not having it, and you're just like, you no. know, like we did the story um at, in Chris, around Christmas time of the the brief truce that happened at different parts of the Western Front, and mm -hmm. um and I said then there was one sergeant who was like, I don't like that there's camaraderie and talking back and forth mm -hmm. between the opposite sides and i don't like that people are all christmassy and this is this is baloney and his name was adolf hitler so these are these are these little He's stories so where you're just like yeah, good at giving his about, opinion right? yeah and, his and opinion can you sucks. just i i think it i can't remember where i heard it it was somebody i really really admire like steve martin or, or it could have been a woody allen i don't really admire him anymore but i mean can you imagine what would happen to this world if Hitler was not rejected for art school. The arts are important, people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Save the arts. Some very interesting art coming out of Germany at that time. It would have been... Mm -hmm. I'd be like, actually, that would be... Yeah. Well, anyway, that's my story. The Merry Wives of Saxe-Coburg Gotha. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. You know what? I feel Thank like so part of the everybody being interrelated like that I feel like that led to just a little bit, not just a, like, you know, everybody's hurt feelings because kind of related, but also everybody thinking that they had dibs at everything. Oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. when you get into a bigger family like that and there's like one mm -hmm. person at the head that everybody respects and you go, but she always liked me for this. And you mm -hmm. have this person who's like, yeah, but I always felt like you always got a little bit more preference than I did. And then that person's going, yeah, but look what you got. And then they start button heads. And you're like, wait, why are we butting yeah, heads? Yeah, I feel like that yeah. added to it too. Because everybody wanted, again, you're so interrelated at that point. I feel like that Ooh. would create a lot of competition to be like, well, I'm just as good as my cousin. So why can't I rule? austria and germany or whatever you know mm -hmm. yeah. Or, yeah yeah i just feel like that definitely added to a lot of uh that issue <laughs> i would say so yeah i would say so yeah yeah well anyway yeah. there's my story <laughs> thank you Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> anytime welcome to the halfway point oh family am i right <laughs> well hey maybe things aren't perfect all the time with our family but I feel pretty confident saying that I'm pretty sure none of us here have gotten ourselves embroiled in a world war and that's been exacerbated because of our family ties and created a lot of tension at the next family dinner. I feel pretty confident saying that, but maybe I shouldn't assume things. But hey, what am I talking about? This is the halfway point and we hope that you're enjoying yourself in the smoke circle. If so, please rate, review, like, follow, subscribe, whatever it may be on the platform that you are listening or watching on right now. Things like that are super duper helpful for indie podcasts like ours. It helps us move up in charts. It helps the, you know, magical algorithms push our podcast forward so they get seen and heard by more people who might enjoy our show. And we'd be eternally grateful for that. Maybe sharing the episode with a friend or on social media. And uh, speaking of social media, 
give us a follow over there. All of our social media accounts are directly linked in the show notes below. Over on Instagram and TikTok, we share news about the show, what we're doing, little bits of history, but we also have history one hitters, which are short videos to talk about some cool thing that we learned about in history and wanted to share back with you. In fact, actually lately, some of our history one hitters have been doing particularly well over on TikTok. One of them went, uh, I guess, viral. I'm not sure what the metrics are for something like that, but you know, it's brought a lot of people here listening. So, hey, if you found us that way, welcome. Let's keep that party rolling. And uh, speaking of keeping the party rolling, let's move on to part two where Katie and I tag team the history of jesters, which is so much fun and so delightful. And without further ado, let's puff, puff, pass it on to part two. All right. Well, thank you so much for that, Erin. That was uh, delightful and enlightening and also just a crazy and wild ride. So thank you so much. And completely <laughs> worthless. It has no value in theater, in history whatsoever, <laughs> other than you understand a little bit more about the internal strife of some royal heads of state who got completely butthurt when other countries who were dying and bleeding in the streets didn't feel nice about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there it is. The ultimate tale of insecurity, right? <laughs> so we're going to keep the laughs going a little bit more and, uh, mm-hmm. and continue this, this journey through, through history, really. And this is quite through time, actually. Mm. We love laughing. You know, laughter along with crying is catharsis. You know, we go to a movie, we laugh, we go, oh, we feel so good. We go to a movie, we cry. And we're like, oh, man, we just released something. Comedians in some way, shape, or form have been entertaining culture and the history of civilization. Today we have stand-up comedians, actors on screen and stage who all, you know, tickle their funny bones and, and whatnot. <laughs> but way back, let's rewind the clock a whole lot. Before TV, uh-huh. before the radio, there was the jester. Oh. <laughs> So this is a very yes. brief history of the jester, <laughs> very brief, but depending on where you're at and, you know, where I should say where you're from in the world, your first thought of the jester might typically be the guy dressed in a little goofy jingle bell hat, um, you know, little, uh, you know, pointy shoes or something, you know, it's a very stereotypical look of that English jester, maybe a little stick in his hand with another little face on it, you know, and mm-hmm. you'd be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is the jester, but also you will find the jester or the fool or the clown it comes by many different names all over the world through time. Yes. And here we go. So Katie and I, just to set mm. the scene a little bit, Katie and I are going to be dividing the globe in half. Um, I <gasps> chose arbitrarily uh, Constantinople. <laughs> now it's Istanbul, yeah. but it was Constantinople. Uh, as our you, did, you really were just like, let's do here. Okay. And I was like, all right, sounds good. I'll west, take everything to the right. You take everything to east. the left. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. North, south, but west, east. There it is. That's oh, where we're going to market. Oh, lovely. Lovely. <laughs> I actually did an episode very similar to this, so I'm very excited yeah. to hear, hear this version. Yes. <laughs> and I heard it, and mm. I was like, oh, no. And I was like, oh, no, we're, we're good. We're just, just different enough here. But yeah, um, so fun. we're going through, I mean, we're going to be mostly looking at, like, ancient and medieval sort of timelines in history. But... Uh, we are going to be going by geographical location versus an actual 
chronological timeline timeline we're kind of jumping along history like bill and ted in our most excellent telephone box uh, time machine then we'll finish up in the modern day as well as katie gets to tell a little bow on it with a fun mm. little tale of one of history's best fools or best known maybe yes <laughs> so of course like jester the jester is fun the jester is entertaining and it's it's exciting entertainment but for me through, through this research what i found even more interesting is the jester's relationship to power and the social dynamics of his role and i'm going to say mostly he because um that is primarily you know the people in the role were men uh but there are there were some female jesters um some of them oh you put them in yours didn't you well no, i, I mentioned there, one in mine oh good there was i have one french one she isn't I, she was not mentioned in my story but um well but yeah. i did yeah, well, good. Thank you, Katie, for representing. Now, for the most part, with the exception of a, a couple of cultures and a couple of places in the world, the fool, the jester, was a nobody, really. Uh, not only were they of like a lower social class, but they were almost even excluded from it, sort of sitting in this like social purgatory, if you will. They were neither a lord, nor were they a serf, um, you know, a, a peasant, but they weren't weren't necessarily powerful directly. That's the, mm -hmm. the key word, directly powerful. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> because these quote-unquote nobodies potentially had the power of the monarch that they served. They were able, able to influence and possibly manipulate the king or queen based on the favor that they had with them. And another common theme that we see across all cultures and time with the jester is that they were generally given a free pass to do and say what they wanted, even if it was directly offensive to their authority. Yep. As long as it's funny. funny. Yes. As long as it's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's the caveat. Yeah. If you're mm -hmm. not funny, you're not staying around. So we're gonna <laughs> Your go head west. Is on the chopping block. <laughs> so we're gonna go west to the Americas, and typically throughout the Americas, these jesters are gonna be called clowns. And clowns are part of the culture can, and considered sacred across various tribes. The Pueblo peoples, namely the Hopi tribe, had clowns that were part of their ceremonial ritual, rituals each month. The Cherokee had uh, I, booger dances, booger dances, which is very similar to the word boogeyman, mm -hmm. and had a similar kind of vibe, vibe. if you will, mm. to it. You know, yeah. it was a little bit different I, I, than I, I, these I, other. I, I'm clowns. sorry, I have to, I have to, I have to just. Uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm putting this down in my notes. Uh, uh, booger dances. That's how it's spelled. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, just making sure. <laughs> yeah, so it's either booger or booger. Uh, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. Yeah. Just, you got it. Just you got clarifying. It. <laughs> you know, I might not be the only one wondering that. <laughs> and then you go out west in in America in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and you have the Tuba Ball Nation, and those clowns even had enough sway to get a tribal leader changed out if they thought that they were leading poorly. Yeah. Whoa. So they'd be like, somehow, um, switch this guy out. Oh and then over God. in your area, <laughs> Aaron, the Sioux people had what they called the Hayoka. Now, much like the jesters, you're nodding your head because I'm like, oh, so you, have you heard of them before or are familiar I, with the word? I, I, I'm actually no. looking back on it. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, uh, the Sioux are in several different tribes around where I am more specifically very directly mm -hmm. to the East in kind of like Western South Dakota. Um, 
and pretty much all across South Dakota, really. Uh, and there's a lot of Native American and indigenous peoples, uh, like, awareness at like annual events like our mm -hmm. big one here is the Sheridan yeah. Wyo rodeo but we have the crow tribe come down from uh, uh southern montana and they'll mm -hmm. do like uh, after our big rodeo parade they do what they call the first people's dance and mm -hmm. they teach people like you know how to dance I've in a, this. A, a ritual and ceremonious way um oh. but they don't i've never seen a hayoka bride out oh okay uh, so, so I'm there we go. fascinated. <laughs> so the Hayoka is going to come up a few times because um, I found that they are much like the gestures that we meet in like Europe and other parts of the world in terms of their role. The, um, they were also ceremonial and a, a sacred role within their, their tribe, but they were the person right. who could say the difficult things violate cultural or social norms and make people laugh during hard times by using satire to point out the way that things were in the tribe, point out weird things with authority or just how, how the world's working, you know, and, uh, and often directing it at power and authority. And Stick while they the had the, yeah, exactly. They're like, mm, this is my job. And while many of the, the clowns of indigenous tribes in America fill a ceremonial role and may provide laughter or some sort of cathartic release for their people, hmm. I did find that, yeah, the, the Hayoka are the ones where there are, very, there are many simul similarities between them and other ancient cultures in the world, which is amazing because hmm. this is all pre-contact and, and traveling. Right. And stuff like that so it's that just supposed to show that how my mind yep. right mm -hmm. how important humor is because mm -hmm. you got well, I mean, you got your medicine man you got your shaman and you got to have your laugh man <laughs> right up that, there with everybody i mean seriously like to be put up there with needs like that that tells you mm -hmm. in how high a regard and how necessary it was mm -hmm. so absolutely i'm gonna get personal for just a moment here um my sure. mother just lost uh, <laughs> an old friend and it was a relationship that has kind of soured over the years. And after my dad passed last year, um, the relationship just kind of died completely. And then we mm -hmm. found out that this friend that they'd had for 30, 40 years had died in their mm -hmm. sleep. And mm -hmm. so uh, mom was like, ah, oh, we got to go to the funeral. And we went to the funeral and I helped her out with that and everything. And um, the sermon for it, one, this pastor should be ashamed of himself because he was almost like trying to hawk a used car like you know come to the church of jesus and i can help you if you start today if you start today you won't feel sad yeah. Do you, when i get my dad's eulogy last year i said this is not a time to be sad this is a time to celebrate this person he's no longer with us but the time we got how about that what did we right. get out of the time mm -hmm. we got with this person isn't that amazing and then i talk about all the stuff that he'd done and and it was so obvious this guy didn't know this woman at all <laughs> so yeah. i'm like what he said to these people was not at all comforting or helpful or anybody mm -hmm. in an existential state of death is weird. I don't know how to approach it. Didn't help him at all. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. on the flip side of that coin, I have done that episode on funeral clowns in ancient Rome with my son, Ethan, and he was mm -hmm. flabbergasted. You know, there was these actors that were basically hired to mimic the person dead in the funeral procession from the temple to their burial site. And he walked the streets making fun of that person. And people would be like, yep, 
that's that's just like him. That's great. <laughs> Th thank you. That reminds me a lot of him, and I feel better about that. Yes. So it reminded them that they still have the memories of that person. And so I think that was ultimately kind of the feeling of that. So it sounds like the Hayoka and these other tribes had something similar to that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and, yeah. and a fascinating pre-contact. This was just mm -hmm. something that seemed inborn in people. This is how we yeah. explain this and feel better about it. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And the, the Hayoka were often seen as this um, bridge between life and death. And a lot of ceremonies were done at sunrise. So, sunrise, so it was also like a, a start to things, mm -hmm. you know, like that rebirth, that life, the start to the day that, you know, as the sun rises. And I think it's really amazing, especially again, when you look at how this plays out across cultures, you know, across the world. Moving south to Mesoamerica, the clowns, once again, they're called the clowns, are very similar to the Hayoka in that their contrary behavior, their mannerisms, was a way to point out rights and wrongs, poke fun at authority, bring levity to serious concepts like death, and also just to be there for a little bit of fun and entertainment. Yeah. When we're hmm. looking at uh, pre-contact as well, too, in, in Mesoamerica, the, one of the biggest groups of peoples that come up when it comes to the clowns is the Maya. And they would do all kinds of things, mm -hmm. oftentimes dressing up as animals like the spider monkey. And, um, which I think, I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's fun, you know, right. The spider monkey, fun, kind of goofy, silly, but a little bit of a trickster. And that's also an interesting point that comes up that I'm just going to oh so briefly touch on it, because it does open up a whole historical box of goodies <laughs> but oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, one can get into the I'm, whole I'm, idea my mind is already like you can see the smoke coming out I, of my ears from it. the gears turning <laughs> in my head i'm like oh okay so you're talking about Erlequino, the prankster and commedia dell'arte which is exactly like the spider monkey people okay anyway uh-huh no you yeah you've got it exactly right and you yeah because the because... wrestling guys would go <laughs> I had to. You made okay. it too perfect for me. You're allowed. Okay. You are allowed. You're allowed and welcomed Which is... and accepted here. Yeah. I had somebody call me a nerd about, oh, let me see, 17 years ago, I saw a trailer going to a movie with some people for Spider-Man 3. And the guy's girlfriend was sitting right next to me. And we saw Spider-Man 3. And there's Venom. And we're like, oh, my God, it's the first time Venom has been on a screen. Ah, oh, yeah. my God. And the guy goes, you're a freaking nerd. You know what we had just been doing before we went to see this movie? We had to wait for these two losers to fill out their NCAA March Madness brackets. And they sat there for half an hour before we could get in the car going, well, I think it's going to be Clemson. No, I think it's going to be Seton Hall. And as soon as he called us a nerd, I'm like, yeah, how's your bracket, Ryan? How's your <laughs> bracket? Did you sit there and nerd out on your sports teams? You're a freaking nerd too, okay? Nerd. <laughs> nerd. I just saw Venom and I wet my pants. <laughs> you saw the North Carolina Tar Heels and shit your pants. Which one of us is worse? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do uh, like sports man. as well. <laughs> I do too. I do too, but that, it, oh, yeah. So the, the trickster comes up in a lot of different cultures. Oh, mythology, yeah, the spider right? monkey. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
And the trickster figure is there just to stir shit up. Uh, for indigenous people where we live, for the three of us, we're familiar with mm -hmm. animal tricksters like the coyote, the rabbit, the raven. Those are a few that fox. come up. Fox, okay. In North mythology, we're like, oh, Loki. It's Loki, trickster. Yeah. Raven. <laughs> yeah. In oh, wait, Africa, Odin. Never mind. Uh... <laughs> that was like, wait a second. <laughs> in Africa, it's Anansi, the spider. And then the Maya, mm -hmm. they've got the spider monkey. And what's interesting <laughs> about the role of the trickster and then also the jester or the clown is that the trickster is free from any sort of authority. You know, the trick, like, mm -hmm. you know, you think of Loki. Loki's probably the best example. You can even use Marvel Loki. Um, and yeah, be like, definitely he just Marvel is Loki. there to just cause chaos, you know? Whereas the jester is dependent, especially like the English jester, that, that typical jester that we think of, is dependent on their patron the king or the queen or whatever you know noble person has them in their employment and so you're walking that fine knife edge of being like well i don't want to piss people off too bad but but they use very similar elements across tricksters and jesters <laughs> and some of them are more oh, yeah. trickster than jester which we'll we'll see in a little bit some people go a little bit too far but <laughs> when we cross the ocean over into africa the clowns there in various parts of the continent very similar to the Americas. The Wolof people in West Africa had a designated clown who performed the same roles, much like the Sioux's Hayoka. And hmm. we get the most, I don't know, quote unquote, jestery um, history from ancient Egypt. There we find oh. a long history of jesters entertaining pharaohs and other <laughs> royal families in the court. Okay, I guess that doesn't surprise me that much. Okay. Yeah, this is where we're starting to see it's like, oh, there's that. Uh, maybe more of that hierarchy instead of it being more of a community role or for a tribal mm -hmm. role. It's now like you're there to entertain me and my my royal comrades and family here. And this is also, unfortunately, one of the first places where we then find evidence of jesters being chosen due to physical or neurological differences. Oh, During yes. The time, yeah, which gets a little icky, right? During the time of the sixth dynasty of the old kingdom of Egypt, which here you go, here's some old history, 2,323 Whoa. to 2,150 BC. Good oh, God. BCE. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a correspondence from a court official writing back to the boy pharaoh, uh, Neferkeri, to say that he's found a quote, big air quotes here, dancing dwarf south of the kingdom. And he's like, check this out this is amazing sir you know and the pharaoh's like yeah bring bring this person back with you and thus unfortunately begins a long history of peoples from a variety of ethnic groups in west and central africa being removed from their communities brought north to be paraded around for the entertainment of royalty more enslaved than hired performer okay i was gonna say did they get any of the benefits of being the jester or no yeah. Nope. They the people go. in question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they need a passport. It. Yeah. Ugh. The people in question uh, who, were, who were brought to be, you know, these performers, air quotes here, uh, for the pharaohs were often in like a lot of old antho uh, anthropology literature and a lot of books were called the pygmies. I'm going to say it once and that's the end. Uh, but yeah. it's pejorative, okay. you know. Yeah. yeah. 
because and that's uh-huh. how we're like, oh, we know, mm-hmm. but we're also like, oh yeah, we know that's not the right term. It's best to call them by whatever tribe or ethnic group they're from, like the Bakaya or the Mbuti. Um, well, and, and I think that's kind reason... of unfortunate that that word has lasted through to today to like even animal nomenclature. Like you'll have animals named like, I don't know, the, the pygmy nuthatch or something like that. And it's just because yeah. it's smaller than the regular right. nuthatch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I and that's exactly I don't think what I knew that. <laughs> I just thought that's what you called a small animal. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's in relation no, to that's also very the- dark <laughs> origins. <laughs> yeah. Most things do, Peter Pan. Anyway. Yeah, it's like those damn nursery rhymes again. Yeah. And and as as Aaron mentioned, and as you mentioned as well too, Katie, the, the only reason why these people were, you know, plucked out of their homes and these eth- from these ethnic groups were is because they were of smaller stature. So mm-hmm. different. Yeah, there's difference. Ugh. And that's where that goes. Now, here we go. I'm going to end my gesturing journey in Europe because damn kids, that's, Duh. that's where so much is happening. We get a lot going on. And plus oh, the book I read. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. Settle in. All right. And I read a book that was specifically talking about gestures of the English court, but it did cover, you know, other places too. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on over there. Um, the, the book that I, I read about them, that I just mentioned, talked about how sources at that time differentiated the jesters by those that were natural and then those that were artificial or quote unquote licensed, a licensed fool. The licensed or artificial fool is someone who is the quintessential performer. We might think of this as the stand-up comedian, for example. You know, the person that goes in is like, I can juggle and I can tell really good jokes because I'm super duper witty and I can, you know, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then, whereas the natural fool, <laughs> but what my book calls the innocent, is one who fits more within oh, um, like neurodivergency that. or mental or intellectual mm-hmm. disability. And so I was like, oh, I liked how he changed that up here a little bit. But it also slightly like changed Was as the kind role. as possible. Yeah, but it also slightly changed the role because, and he uses the innocent in a very purposeful way because the mm-hmm. licensed fool has to tread carefully, right? They have to make sure that they don't push the envelope too far. Whereas the innocent, innocent says the truth because that's what they know, and so Ooh. they mm. they see truth, they say it, and they often seem to be a, a little bit more of this laxed attitude, being like, ah. Oh, you're right, fool. Oh, you're so wise. You know, you you see it, you see it, and you say it. Well done. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. Um, sometimes there's the opposite effect where people were like, "I can only hear so much truth. Thank you so much." But for the most part, there was a little bit more of um, uh, just more, more flexibility, I think, within the roles depending on who they were. <laughs> the jesters might tell jokes, play music, juggle, or even be like a contortionist and have some sort of physical talent yeah, okay. that they have. Yeah. Well, Katie's going to tell us about some unique talents one English jester had <laughs> at the end. Uh, but in addition to their unique talents, they also had unique relationships with power, especially in Europe. As I mentioned earlier, the king jester relationship, it's really advantageous to both parties, of course. So, the patron, in this case, the king, was given entertainment and recreation and sometimes the companionship of a person that they felt they could trust who wasn't, 
you know, using them for any sort of other means, like maybe advisors who they might not be able to trust the word of so well, often telling mm -hmm. them what the king might like to hear, not necessarily what he needs to hear, that kind of thing. And the jester is also on the outside of, you know, quote unquote, of these social standings. So he's, he's kind of apart. There's no, he has no, um, what would you, how do you call stake. it? He stake. He has no stake yeah. in the claim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, exactly. The jester could be more relied upon because of their role as like a, a silly goose to say what was needed more than what was wanted. Mm -hmm. A quote from the book is, humor has been described as potentially one of the finest forms of thought and perception. It is a human necessity. The delicate and often dangerous task of the court fools was to supply the humor in the place where, for the greater part of our history, it was most needed. The center mm -hmm. and hub mm -hmm. of supreme political power, the court of the king. Yeah. Thank God for it, right? Well, it, it sounded like a very early system of checks and balances, really. I mean, mm -hmm. you had a monarch yes, who was like almost completely divided from the people he was ruling over. So we'll pluck one of them out who has particular wit. And because he's in this silly position of being goofy, if I don't listen to him, it's understandable. But if I do listen to him, people can go, well, that was very wise, very wise. You took, mm -hmm. you took the position of uh, the, uh, the people, and that was very wise. Mm. That's, you have nailed it right there. Yes, the jester was a symbol of the everyman, all the people, everyone who basically was not the king ruling in, in their autocratic way. Right. And uh, it, it was great. I mean, the jesters entertained, but they also had a delicate job of delivering tough news that maybe the advisors would rather not have to give the king or being a comedic mid middle person for grievances for low lower the classes. For example, in France, in Louis XIII's court, uh, two musicians apparently made the king unhappy in some way. Y you know what? You don't really, <laughs> it's not really that much of a surprise that maybe you just played a wrong note and you're like, oh, I played a wrong note in that song and I don't like it. You've made me mad. You know, that kind of thing. Or maybe it was something much <laughs> Who bigger. Who let Kanye in? <laughs> Who let Kanye in? <laughs> Why is he here? What? <laughs> and Louis XIII, you know, being a monarch was like, well, I don't like that. And therefore I'm going to cut your pay in half. So the two musicians are like, well, we need our money. Like, we, this I, is what we do. I did not think you'd end that sentence with your pay in half. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to cut your <laughs> fill in the blank. <laughs> I didn't, didn't get that bad. But they're, they're complaining about it. Okay. <laughs> and the king's jester, uh, Marais, said to the musicians, he's like, well, how about this? Next time. You have a royal performance, only get half dressed. Okay. All right. And so they like did it. so. Mm hmm. <laughs> and they did so. And so the well, king... he said so. He's under the king. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess the next time we do that, right? You take your pants off, I'll take my top off. This will be perfect. Yeah. So they're in various <laughs> states of undress, you know, halfway so. And the king is like, well, uh, oh. mm, what? What's happening here? And they said, well, you're only paying us half, so we're only getting dressed half. And thankfully, <laughs> the king laughed and was like, full wages to you, right? Oh, wow. Man, that jester came in clutch. 
And if he wasn't taking a little bit of scratch for himself on the backside, like, oh yeah, he had uh, to. You know, you you could have had the other end of the sentence if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. And Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just a little a little tip would be Mm -hmm. helpful. Is all I'm saying. Yes, and actually, there are numerous numerous anecdotal stories like this throughout the history of the jester. And in fact, actually, one story is that female jester. Uh, who did a very similar thing. She intervened on behalf of somebody for a little bit of pay and used her position to get the king to laugh and, you know, be okay with things. Be like, oh, right, it's fine. And (laughs) throughout the history of the jester, there's a well-timed joke, a little bit of humanity and a little bit of empathy that resolved the dispute, saved a life, saved even, you know, more extreme examples save the country from financial loss, you know, or riots, mm-hmm. if they're going to piss the people off, which, you know, ruin long, long-term down the road. Um, I have yes. a great <laughs> reading assignment for our listeners when we're done, okay. uh, but, or, or a watching assignment because it's even better okay. watching, but anyway, we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. Bank that. I'm, I'm curious, but sometimes, sometimes it didn't always go so great. There's a jester back in the 11th century Byzantine Empire called Romanus who took advantage of his position and plotted against his patron, the Emperor Constantine IX. You see, old Romanus fell in love with the emperor's mistress, and he was like, well, who, I know it's going to make, make everything okay. wouldn't? <laughs> she must have been gorgeous, right? The mosaics Come on. She's the, she's the <laughs> mistress to the emperor. She's, she's a dog? No, I don't think so. <laughs> He's got the hard eyes for sure for her. And he thinks, well, I'm going <laughs> to... Tongue rolling up and out. He's a jester. <laughs> Love cartoons. Uh-huh. <laughs> And he's like, I'm going to eliminate my competition, the emperor, my patron, and I'm going to win her heart, I guess. I don't know if he thought that she loved him back. It's it's a very weird thing, but he's like, I am going to kill him. I mean, he was really shooting a shot. I'm not but... only going to kill him, but I'm also going to take the throne. And... Oh! Oh, okay. It wasn't just, huh, what's in my way? The most powerful person in the country. Oh, that ought to mm-hmm. be easy. Oh, what's going yeah. Oh, there will be a vacuum of power. Who can fill that? <laughs> oh, I know somebody. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And the wild thing is he was apparently very nearly successful. <laughs> Whoa. Be- because he had such a close connection with the emperor or the king or, you know, these, these mm-hmm. guys get in tight. And so if they decide that they oh. want to do something like this, they, all it is is a little knife or a little poison or a little, you know, push down the mm-hmm. stairs. I mean, Damn. yeah. Uh, um, another, another more famous and more fun example of a joke not quite landing so well is the story of the French jester Tribulet, who served Francis I. Now, it seems mm. that Tribulet was an overall great jester. He served for a very long time, uh, but sometimes had the habit of taking things just a bit too far. <laughs> At one point, whatever his joke was, he thought it was going to, you know, get uproarious laughter. He slapped the king on the ass. <laughs> Which I'm laughing just saying it, honestly. <laughs> but I'm there. Did, did he say good story. game afterwards? Did he say good game <laughs> afterwards? Because that's the only acceptable reason I'll take. Good job, sport. Nice. Nice play out there. <laughs> Old sport. Nice uh, Tiger. Nice ruling you got Champ. there, king-o. 
You know, Blake did that to me one time, and I straight up looked him in the eyes and said, if you ever do, and he said, good job, champ, or butt, or whatever, right, some rendition of this, and I said, I love you, I would take a bullet for you, but if you ever do that and say that to me like that again, the closest you will get to love is a cantaloupe. (laughs) Or you can microwave is that the, a cantaloupe. Is that the new, anyway. is that the new version of the, the apple pie? I guess. I don't know. What are you doing to the apple pie? Because that's what I was talking about. Okay, Aaron gets it. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yes, back in the day, there was a great uproarious comedy known as American Pie. And the father came home to experience his son in the act of courtship with the pastry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, slap the king on the ass. Slaps I think that's the king on the off. ass. There we are. Slaps the king on the ass. And the king is, well, one, everyone's like, shocked. What? Uh, and the king is also shocked and also not so pleased. How are And he is only upset because he got a boner. <laughs> are, they looking at my, are they looking at my boner or at the jester? Okay, good, <laughs> good. Pulls his tunic down just a little bit. <laughs> you almost outed me. So what was his punishment for outing the king? Well, here, here's the thing. The king is so pissed. He's like, I'm going to execute. You're done. I am. You are going to be put to death, which was a risk to the profession, although it didn't happen nearly as frequently as I think it kind of gets made out people to be. Assume, and, you know, people yeah. would think that. Oh, like, yeah. It sounds like it's uh, it's a constant uh, fear, but. Yeah. Most times you're just kicked out. It's, like, it's, nope, you're done. <laughs> yeah, it's this very much in the vein get. of your parents will kick you out for, you know, inviting friends over when they're not there. But this guy was going to get. Uh, going to get the. Uh, uh, other end of the, other, the other end of the fullest and now final how end. I will refer to. <laughs> the old yeah. close shave, as it were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he said, uh, uh, but the king offered to spare the to spare the execution if Tribule could come up with an apology that was more offensive than the act of striking the king, which I don't know why you'd want to egg the guy on at this point, but here we go. Tribule replies, oh, I'm boy. so sorry, your majesty. I did not recognize you. I mistook you for the queen. Uh-oh. Baller move. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Baller move. Okay, continue. <laughs> I mean, he really, like, clap back for sure. Now, in most European courts, the queen is off limits for jokes and ribbing and Mm -hmm. poking fun of. And such is the case in Francis's court. He was furious. And he's like, oh, I don't care how much more offensive than the first deed that was. And what I said, I'm taking back that offer. You are definitely getting put to death. And you know what? Because you have served our courts for as long as you have, I will let you choose the manner of your death. To which our dear Tribulate replies, Good sire, I choose to die from old age. Shit. This fucking guy. Better moves than Steph Curry. That's all I can say. Mm. Holy Mm. shit. Are you freaking kidding me? Ball is in his hand. (laughs) You don't see where it's going. And now it's a three-pointer. That's what that was. That's how he didn't even look. And the king's like, Oh, that was so good. Oh, so good. You can. You can live. And he was banished from the court and did indeed pass from old age in the French countryside in 1536. Okay, wait, wait. So do you say he was kicked? Was he was kicked out of court? Yes, he was banished from the court. Okay, you slapped the king. You slapped the king on the ass. You offended the queen. You are 
doomed to die of old age, so fuck off. Okay. Yeah. You are lucky oh. to be alive. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I guess I get to go live with my pension out in the wilderness. Mm, damn. Yeah. Don't you feel he earned it for his like cojones oh. though? <laughs> earned it for sure. Being in the act of like having I mean, I wasn't in the court of a king and slapped a king on the ass and have potentially my life in my hands. But there have been moments on stage where it's like, if I don't do something now, things are going to go completely off the rails. And if I have to say something quickly. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if this guy got into a moment of just stage omnipotence. Uh -huh. <laughs> where, <laughs> where he just went, the show must go on. <laughs> and what a show that court got. Mm -hmm. Smack everybody. Huh? <laughs> How dare you? Sorry. Thought it was your lady. <laughs> oh, you're going to die. How about I die of old age? Shit. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was going to say, wow. he's a fucking baller. Just like you <laughs> said. I was like, yeah. damn. Now, for our present company here, Aaron Odom of Euripides Humanities, mm. a theater history podcast, the use of the fool in literature and in theater is very useful literary device and character. Shakespeare, <laughs> Falstaff is included in there. Shakespeare uses the role of the fool in a very famous and precise way. And some of his plays like As You Like It, uh, The Merry Wives of Windsor, Midsummer Night's Dream, the fool is used in a very, oftentimes a very stereotypical fool-like way. There's a lot of comedy mm -hmm. there. Or at least has more comedy mixed in with his wisdom. But in other plays like King Lear, in which the fool is a major character and mover of the story. That's my reading assignment. That's yes. my reading assignment. Oh, there we go. This is perfect. The fool is more melancholy and the roles are reversed between the king and the fool. The King Lear, he's, he's aging, he's approaching the end of his life, and he's alienating all the people around him. The fool is the one person in the story who's allowed to stay for a time. And the fool who is only called boy, um, it provides all the wisdom for the king. And over the course of it, these roles reverse, and the king, you know, has his realizations just before he he dies uh, of the yeah. the wisdom of the fool, basically. Yes. Uh, and Katie, it is a tragedy, by the way. It is a Shakespearean tragedy. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's oh, not one of the comedies. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's just it's like one of my favorite plays. Yes, and. Uh, so I, I think uh, Shakespeare is like a very great example, I think, of how the fool then gets used uh, outside of the courts. But it can still be a classic learning example for today. So, Katie, yeah. what do you say we cross that Constantinople boundary and look yes. at fools and jesters in the East? Love it. Come across to my side. All righty. So, interestingly enough, contrary to popular belief, which, I mean, maybe it's not so popular, maybe it is. The court jester is not found only in European parts of the world where they, I think, are probably more popular, just at least as far as being spoken about. Maybe that's due to good old Shakespeare. <laughs> well, I have a feeling it's also just Does our shared work? Western history. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, probably. we know more of yeah. we know more about the European stuff. And yes, uh, I, I want to, you know, I'm kind of come back to that pin I put in things earlier about the, the King mm -hmm. Lear fool is one of the, the most prime examples of it. I think Shakespeare really emphasized him 
as, in, in chronicling the uh, role of the jester in, in, in the court. But I think in Eastern cultures, as, as I recall, uh, they go back way before we did. Yes, sure do. Yeah. Um, yes, the only thing, I actually thought I was going to have you beat. I think you might have had me beat with Egypt, though. Yeah, maybe. China's got a really long one. Long, long history. They do, yeah. yeah. Longer than I was prepared for, but there you go. <laughs> okay, interestingly enough, China has one of the longest, most well-documented, documented, yep, I can speak, history of court jesters than any other culture. Though the Chinese had it was interesting to me they didn't have like a direct english translation to the word like jester <laughs> right or mm -hmm. the fool or whatever mm -hmm. like we used they didn't really have something that fully translated over to which doesn't surprise me because in german class i was taught about that too there's a, a word for the name that you get at the feeling of which i th want to say it was um Oktoberfest, but it, I feel like it was that or Carnival. But um, there's a word for the feeling, the the joy, the the festivities, and like all of that that you're feeling there. They have a word for that. So this kind of reminded me of mm. that. He was less likely to be dressed like a fool and more likely to be dressed like a scholarly sage, mm -hmm. which was interesting. Just like the European counterpart, the point of this person in the court was to point out with humor, shortcomings, limitations of judgment of the ruler, and even prevent costly mistakes. Just like you were saying, mm -hmm. point things out, be like, mm -hmm. like, maybe we shouldn't? Like, I mean, have we thought about this, though? And then people <laughs> be like, oh, yeah. You know, you make an excellent point. So, more so even than I think on your side, they were really in positions of wisdom. Mm -hmm in china specifically because i'm going to they, suggest I mean, against this invasion if you don't mind <laughs> right uh so the closest translation they found is the word actor basically into china is what they called them however these performers were around long before the advent of the chinese theater huh. so there you go interesting so while the jester was allowed certain privileges his words were taken without offense sometimes <laughs> if you're funny he had to be careful to toe the line of being lighthearted and funny lest he earn his ruler's contempt like laurel said don't slap the king's ass <laughs> records <Aww>. show <laughs> records show Shucks. these jesters within the chinese court as early as 86 bce yeah 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 so i mean it was a long time ago mm. here's me i'm like oh, i'm gonna have laurel beat and then you came in swinging hard with egypt i was like oh 23 this 23. is just the first oh. time it's documented oh though. yeah and that katie, was how it was katie for, let me you know, this was so funny like you know 20 years ago i'm in in theater history courses in college and it's like you know we start with the ancient mm -hmm. greeks and everything and then you know yeah. about maybe five ten years later everybody's like did you hear about this shit in Egypt? And you're like, oh, what do you mean? And you're like, oh, they had been doing the thing the Greeks had been doing for 2,500 years before that. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Yeah. They were so that's so 2,500 plus 2,500? Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Right? It's amazing, yeah. And then you hear things like Cleopatra was alive when mammoths were. And you're like, Whoa, what? Isn't that fucking okay. weird? Weird. What is it? The <laughs> iPhone is... Wait, what was it? 
Oh, that was with the dinosaurs. What is with me and dinosaurs? Uh, Cleopatra's closer to the iPhone than the pyramids or something like that in terms of where she was in time. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. The creation of the iPhone, yeah. Something like that. What the hell? Dude. Yeah, that's wild. Some of the most famous uh, jesters within China at this time uh, was Dong Feng. He served, this was like the big one that like kept coming up through multiple sources. I was like, all right, I mean, you know, like, I mean, when you're good, you're good. Uh, served Han Emperor Wu Di in 140 BCE to 87 BCE. Oof. Wait a minute. Yeah. So 60 years? That, mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa. That's what it said. I was like, Whew. we're all just sitting here like staring, but. Listen, they. I think I'm I'm the least inebriated out of all of us. So, <laughs> the man who Probably. can subtract eighty uh, eight from fourteen is king. Oh, Jesus! Also, what's the answer? Speaking of being high, I think I actually mixed my numbers up. So, everyone, listener, sorry. Oh, all right, dude, it's going so well. So, not eighty six BCE. It was in the six hundreds BCE. My bad. Listen, it's they were really old. In China. Oh, no, no, Those numbers are right. Oh, okay. Previous, I, a couple of bullet points ago, I said that they were me- mentioned as early as 86 BC, but it's actually in the 600s. I thought to kick you I off that hill, your mind again and be like, <laughs> so that's 500 years? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's calm down. No, the 140 to 87 is correct. Yeah, 60 years. Another famous one in China was Yuzan, called the Twisty Pole Jester, is how he went down in history. Uh, and this was in the Quin Dynasty from 221 to 207 BCE. So I'm going to segue out of China for just a second before I tell you a couple of stories. I wanted to include other famous jesters from the surrounding areas because it was not just China that these existed. They were in India. They were in all kinds of places. So uh, yep. another famous Persian jester was Abu Bakir in the yep. court of Sultan Mahmud of Ghazna? Sure. And <laughs> that's what it was. G-H-A-Z-N-A. Ghazna. Uh, that sounds, yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Sure. I can handle that much right now. And yet another one of this kind of ventured in your territory, Laurel, but I had to put him in there because he served for uh, an interesting amount of time and through a lot of leaders, so I found that interesting. So Klaus Narr was a German jester who served not one, not two, not three, but four German Saxon electors. Because there was a kind of a point in time where Rome segued through, well, didn't segue, they, like, conquested through Germany. Um, This is ours now. (laughs) Right. But they had that, uh, that, uh, as we're taught in history, the Greek style of um, electors. You know what the... What I'm trying, senators. That's what I'm looking for. Right. I can do this. Yeah. Uh, they had a very similar arrangement in Germany earlier. In fact, Laurel, that's where the last name Wall comes from. It means to elect or to choose. Oh. So it's probably huh. like means at some point back in Roman Germany, they were descended from a senator. Well done, you. Yeah, dude. Wow. I mean, sure. Um. <laughs> This was in, so he lived through four of those electors in the year of 1486. So while Mm. women were extremely rare in this profession, for you, Laurel, I have included uh, one such gestress 
they were called Jestress, had to include that title, named, it's going to be butchered because I'm pretty sure she's French. Uh, so you can help me. La, do they say J's or Y's? How do they pronounce their J's? J. 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 Or is it like, depending Depends, on what yeah. vowel follows it? Yeah. Yeah. A. Ja. Yeah? Yeah. So, La Jardinier. The garden? So, maybe. So, it's spelled J A R D I N I E R E. Oh, oh the gardener? Jardinier. <laughs> Le Jardinier. Ooh. Right? That was. So, this was the gesture's name. She served, again, I kind of encroached on your territory, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh. From 1542 to 1567. <laughs> nice. And that it was a tumultuous time. I know. I was like, it did I did not like... mention, uh, like, anything bad happening to her, so. Yeah, she there got her. <laughs> <laughs> look it up, kids. It's a grisly <laughs> history. Okay. Right. <laughs> Bedtime stories. <laughs> so, a uh, very popular story of a court jester in Sri Lanka. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> about a popular figure, Andere, A-N-D-A-R-E, Andere, okay. is said sure. to have lived in the 18th century, was born near Devundara, Devundara in the Matara district. They're really making me work today when I'm not sober. <laughs> in the Matara district... <laughs> of southern Sri Lanka. Andere is said to have died of thirst on his trip home from town. I know, he didn't oh, live Oh, dear. So, <laughs> but hang in there. Okay. So it is said that the king, upon hearing of the death of his favorite jester, rushed to the place of his death. On seeing the corpse with its limbs spread wide, the king smiled and said, Ah, dear Andar, Andare, you are making me laugh even after your death. And in 2001, a tomb and monument were built for this jester. <laughs> and the sculpture shows his body with his arms spread wide. Oh, no. <laughs> Remembered forever in effigy. Um, well, I, I have so I many thoughts on that right now. Not that. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the the place where I'm going right now is I'm sorry, Katie, that's a bullshit story. Uh, <laughs> for a guy to die of thirst on his way home, sorry, takes a few I days didn't... to die from thirst. And, right? Well, uh, I didn't say so how far that... town was. <laughs> Do you know how big Sri Lanka <laughs> is? It's not big. So, <laughs> in, in, I'm okay. Listen, here, here, here's a funny part of the story is I just watched Ace Ventura again with my family last night. And in one scene at three o'clock in the morning, Ace Ventura goes to a girl's house and he has says, you've got to commit me. And the next scene, they're in Tampa that morning. And I'm like, what did they fucking teleport? Because that's at least a seven or eight hour drive. So if they left right then, it might be 11, it might be noon. And then I got to drive back to Miami today. Okay, I'm calling bullshit on Ace Ventura. Anyway, 
but no, I'm I'm I mean, more he thinking. He did say how far town was, but however, he did die. He he. I wanted to go see the monument. I, I'm thinking there's I'm thinking there's some lurid story there, like he found that guy tied to the bed of a concubine who had probably disemboweled him, and there he was tied to the bed with a really happy look on his face, and he's like, ha, man, even in death, oh man. Like, how did he die? Uh, he was um, outside of town. His uh, camel had run away. He looked pretty thirsty. thirsty. That's how I found him. Yeah. He was splayed out just like that. I brought his body. Why are his guts on the floor? I that was That's what happens when you get thirsty. Just burst right out. That's, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I'm pretty sure. Let's make a monument about 5,000 years from now. Oh, wait. He was in the 1800s. About 300 years from now. Okay. To I mean, it was God. a long time ago. Oh my! I'm sorry. God. That, that yeah, I died from thirst on his way home. Really, really. That's what it okay. said. However, <laughs> are you probably right? Probably. <laughs> we may never know how he actually died. Hey, the king said so. So that is as good as gold to me. <laughs> I won't. Uh... I won't question the king. Did you hear about that one who slapped the one in the ass? <laughs> Jesters, as we have covered extensively at this point, they were often viewed as the ruler's scepter or the right-hand man. Because of their positive tactics and their antics, they earned themselves reputations of mythological size and garnered legendary status. Which brings me to one very famous jester by the name of Roland the Fata. Yes! yes! <laughs> oh my god. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. Do you actually know who he is? I did that whole episode on famous farters called Flatulists. And he was Yes! He kicked off he kicked off the whole thing. So please lay it on me as Oh my Roland god. Poof. The famous, as you say, flatulist who lived in the twelfth century. It says served King Henry the Second, but I'm gonna be honest, all the sources I went through. They said it actually was not clear which king he served. So, yeah, in my research, it was like three of them. He was able yes. to serve like three of them Correct. because they, I think like mm -hmm. three of them died very young mm -hmm. or something like that. Yes. Or like, you know, Is, one of them was very yes. old. And I, I mean, you look at it like King Charles III was just crowned and he's in his 70s. So that's going to be a short reign, kids. Sorry for right, the disappointment. Right. No, you're right. And that's exactly what it said. So, um, and it was interesting to me how much the sources varied on that fact, which I thought was odd, oh, but it, it looks yeah. like it began with King Henry II. And then, as you said, it was a couple of them. So he was so famous, well-liked, fill in the blank. He was given Hemingstone Manor in Suffolk and 30 acres of land in return for his services. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when you're that good, you are just that good. His claim to fame... Mm. Try not to make fun of me, because I'm going to struggle through no. this version and then the English version. No, no, is, no, no, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. Go for it. I, I struggled with this myself in my episode. Yeah. Unum saltum et siflitum et unum bumblum. Or in English. One jump, a fart, and a whistle. Unum mm -hmm. <laughs> That was like my favorite Latin thing I'd ever heard. They're like, how do we describe uh, this appropriately he... in the tongue of the gods? Unum <laughs> And funnily enough, 
He performed it for the king every single Christmas. Very special occasion. Oh, yeah. Get the man who can jump, fart, and whistle, please. (laughs) That's what I want. That's what I want for Christmas. So also, in my research with Roland, um, did you also see that he got everything taken away? Because that's what I saw. But only in one source. Oh, that it just said it was like bloop tiny blurb at the end of how great he was. And it said, Oh, yes. but by the time the last one got in, yeah, he just lost everything. I was like, Poor Roland. <laughs> well, like they what take I... the manor on the acreage. Yeah. I, I think what I found was like you had two kings who were like, That's great, you know. Uh, first king mm-hmm. liked it, he died. The second king came in and goes, well, dad really liked it. And then he died. And then the third king came in and go, that's really grotesque. And uh, <laughs> wait a minute, we gave him land? Okay, all right. We need to set things right. We made him right. how important? <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think Howard Stern had a guy who would come on his show and just fart into the microphone. And that guy was a regular staple. I don't think Howard Stern gave him a house and land. <laughs> and lands. Um, you know, he probably got a residual, but uh, hopefully he's on the picket lines right now is all I'm saying. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Flatulence is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so interestingly enough, after and thus poor Roland falls into obscurity. However, the name does not. So from what mm-hmm. I had researched, the legend of Roland was so popular that actually there were jesters referred to as Roland for the next almost 120 years, which was really interesting. So to me, when I was recent, they said it kept being written about and they're like, there's no way this guy is this old. Like you said, the 60 years, like, yeah, there's no way this guy is this old. So what it seems like it took up almost a Robin Hood, like, here we go again, um, mystique where people took up the mantle after the original had passed on. And they did that for a little while. So that fills in such a big gap for me in that because yeah, as as I researched, it was like he was around for a hundred nine years, and you're like, really? So he started yep. at like thirty <laughs> and then died a hundred nine years later. No, his titles were stripped a hundred nine years later. Okay, so yeah, which also leads me to believe, Katie, that not only was it a house that was given to him first by the original monarch. He kept it. But it could or have the been family. a family tradition. <laughs> to give it to the jester. Yeah, that's exactly what Son, I thought. I'm glad you said that. You are not going to go out and be a blacksmith. Our family was born farters and you will die a farter because the Christmas pageant needs its farter. <laughs> but dad, I want to make swords and I want to make helmets and I want to make armor. No. You were granted this powerful anus for a reason. Okay. You have the most disrupted bowels I've ever met for a reason. (laughs) That can fart on you. Oh my God. But don't forget to jump in the whistle first. (laughs) Listen, listen, we're going to go over the technique right now. Okay, go for it. Oh my god. Can you so imagine proud. being able to fart on command? I actually had a friend who could do it in high school. Please go back and listen to my episodes. Le Petoman might have been one of my favorite characters I've ever had on my show. Oh yeah. He's, Le yep. Petoman. Play a trumpet with his butt. <laughs> but not trumpet. kidding. Blow out a candle. 
from a distance. Anyway. From okay. a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to round this all off with, mm. just a little interesting fact about why, specifically in the medieval ages, uh, farting was seen as extremely taboo or even sinful at times. So commonly, when someone dies, their body releases noxious gases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So these gases are commonly associated with the gases that dead bodies produce uh, when they decompose. So it was looked on commonly as a daily reminder of how close we are to death. So farting was actually kind of an interesting like social taboo in that way, not in just a, oh my God, I can't believe you broke wind before me. Like it was more. Oh, are you going to die? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just a weird social taboo that they had. Um, I just need to find a chamber pot. (laughs) (laughs) You smell like you've died. (laughs) (laughs) I suggest otherwise, good sir. (laughs) I would suggest removing some of the humors. (laughs) Leeches. Get the leeches. You're too too full of the bile. (laughs) Uh, oh. <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> Did you do that with your mouth? That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Please hire me. I'm available for Christmas parties. Can you jump and whistle? Ah, <laughs> uh, I'll work on it. Okay. It's reliant upon a good jump and a good in-tune whistle. Can you imagine? Wait, do you no, think they no. clacked their heels together when they did it? <laughs> <laughs> probably that's that's where you get the tips thrown at you like a guitarist on the mm-hmm. sidewalk yeah mm-hmm. oh uh. my god did you see that he clicked his heels together <laughs> a jump click a whistle and a toot that's it here's 30 acres <laughs> oh my god his timing must have, have been impeccable even, even better you don't have to work the rest of the year <laughs> once a year <laughs> That's the thing. Did he only have to do that one time, or was it whenever somebody was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, that was really funny. Let's do that again. Can you do that again, Chester? Do that again, Roland. Do that again, again, again." I would be. Or was it just like know. a one-time thing, and it was like a <laughs> practically like a drum roll built up to this moment where he would do it, and you're like, "Yes," and then he goes home. Well, professional. I think I recall from my research, it said that that was it. The records only show Roland the farter hired the for the Christmas that's pageant. Yeah, yeah, that's all that's written down, you know. So again, it gets it gets tough with this Brilliant. stuff. Like, <laughs> but I'm sure he would roll up in the local tavern and sit there and go, you know, I am the king's farter, and they're like, that bullshit, prove it. He's like, hey, I want twenty bucks as I can. I'm like, all right, hey, everybody, this guy says he can jump, fart, and whistle on cue. He's like, okay, twenty bucks from everybody. All right, here we go. Uh-huh. And here we go. I hope so. Successful night at the bar. A man with that kind of talent deserves to be well paid. Bless you, Roland the farter. Roland le farter. Oh my god. Ah, Katie, thank you so much for that. That was fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) You even said it would end really well. (laughs) Yep, it did. (laughs) Never done. And that's our show. 
That's it. That's all we got for you. A joke and a fart and a whistle. And there we are. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hi, Lord. (laughs) Oh, Aaron. Always a pleasure. Never, ever a chore. And a chore? Hang on. It's it's my... No, it's not a chore at all. It's my absolute delight. I love doing this. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And I hope to come back again. Absolutely. Anytime. Like, I think we're just... uh, I mean... We're like, I think we're just friends for life now at this point as, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're never, ever getting, okay. rid of us. <laughs> uh, I'll get the tattoo. All right. Here we go. <laughs> uh, and thank you again. I mean, honestly, it's so much fun and, uh, we, yeah, we just delight in it time after time. And, and, uh, yeah, thank you for bringing such amazingly interesting history and thank you for yeah. hanging out with our our smoke circle and our silly history. <laughs> and at least we kept it within royal families. Look so at this. Was a general we, sure really, we really <laughs> did. Just tying these things together. Didn't even mean to. Uh, well, thank you so much, folks. Also to you for being here, watching, listening. Well, honestly, I mean, this is, it's a show because of you. And so thank you for being here. And we're going to do it again in a couple of weeks. Please check out Euripides, Eumenides, it's a fantastic show all about theater history. And you know what? Like he said, you don't have to be a theater history or theater fan to like understand what's going on. It's amazing. It's so much fun. If you had fun here today, you're going to have fun over there. Go check him out. All of his information is in our show notes. We'll see you again in a couple weeks. In the meantime, folks, get money, get high, give love. And I mean, sometimes you just need to do a jump, a whistle and a fart. (laughs) There it is. Jump, whistle and fart. (laughs) Bye, folks.